You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. All right, this is Abraham. And this is Shane. So this is Why We Do What We Do. Your favorite consumable psychology podcast. And uh, what are we talking about today, Shane? Today we are talking about Overchoice, which is not a J.J. Abrams horror movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's kind of a lot of things we could talk about. There are so many things that I'm just going to give up and go back to bed. <laughs> yeah, it's exhausting to kind of try to tease out what we want to talk about. Uh, it, actually, it, it's kind of funny. We do run into this a little bit where it's like we could talk about all these things. Where do we start? This is exhausting. And looking at how many published articles there are, it was <laughs> a little bit of that experience where I'm looking at just lots and lots and lots of articles and thinking, nah, I don't yeah. really want to pick one of these. <laughs> yeah, this, they all have uh, equal payoff, if you will. Ooh, yeah. teasing. What's coming up? Whoop, I like whoop. it. Very nice. Yep. So today we're talking about option paralysis. And uh, I feel like a lot of people have kind of come across across this phenomenon right like where there are sure. so many different things that you could choose from like uh say you've gone on netflix to try to pick a movie and or a show or maybe even like some kind of stand-up comedy and you have a hard time picking because there are so many options that it's almost too much to choose from well and speaking of netflix i mean you've got now all these streaming platforms that exist do i choose to go with the disney plus or with the itunes thing or apparently at&t is trying to start their own or hulu or netflix or amazon or and it just the list goes on and on and on and the the market is getting saturated with the number of choices for people to take your money and then once you do that then they're saturated with choices for things to watch and it's just exhausting well, that's like YouTube, right? Like YouTube is hard to get <laughs> yes. through because there's so much stuff. Like where do you start to watch? Like which which toy unwrapping video does my kid need to watch right now? <laughs> toy unwrapping. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like I sort of vaguely remember when, when YouTube really started to take off and thinking there's so much content here at this point that you could probably watch everything on here and it would take you about the rest of your lifetime to do it. And I believe that I actually saw numbers on how much has been uploaded to YouTube and it is an astonishing amount and well beyond the lifetime of a human being to spend every waking minute and every sleeping minute watching everything on YouTube still would not run out of content. Oh yeah. No, uh, I think, like it's it's just insane how much content is out there my favorite video on youtube though is a video of a guy counting to like two hundred thousand, and he skips a number at like a hundred ninety eight thousand, or like some le some number really close to the end and ruins the entire video and it's hours of video i kind of feel bad for the guy <laughs> that's that's yeah there's there's humor there yeah, there's we've got to, we've got to do some topic in the future talking about like why we find things funny, especially things like that where it's so mundane, but one little tiny change just makes it hilarious. Oh yeah, no, it's a, it's just it's just a silly thing. So uh, another thing that we kind of that I always like to touch on is like uh, the idea when we talk about option paralysis is the idea that you know when you go out to eat, sometimes it's hard to choose something to eat for dinner, right? Especially if you go Such to like. A good yeah, like if you go to Cheesecake Factory and there's 20 pages worth of menu, like what do you pick off of that menu? Really good example. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I certainly, I mean, having a fairly restrictive diet myself, when I have gone to restaurants that don't have a lot of options, I actually kind of enjoy it because I can just look at the three or four things that I might, that would actually fit within the parameters of the diet that I follow and say, oh, well, okay, I'll choose one of these things. But when I go to a restaurant that caters entirely to my diet and then I've got dozens of options and I look at the menu and I'm just like... I'm gonna need a minute. Or yeah, twenty. <laughs> when I was when I was in Vegas, they had a place called uh, Modern Vegan, which I really struggled to to pick something from because every I wanted to eat everything there. Sure, it was so good. Yeah. So and then yeah, I mean, and the examples are abound. You know, we could talk about going to grocery stores or going to. I don't know if people still go to like buy movies places, but if you're going to uh, buy a movie somewhere or if you're going to watch a movie that's in theaters, um, there's there's usually several options something to, to watch i was going to give an example of something but i realized that like if someone's listening to this in the future it would be very dated really quickly <laughs> once i <laughs> even once this comes out it'll be very dated so just there are lots of options that yeah. are out there there yeah but like picking a book that you want to read like when you want to start a new oh. book how do you pick a new book yeah. i was just thinking that when i was looking at my my bookshelf i'm standing right next to as we're recording this and thinking if i wanted to choose one of those books to read which one am i going to pick i don't know i don't want to i don't think about that yeah, it's too much. It's 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 there's so many choices that it makes it difficult. And this is a phenomenon called option paralysis, and that's really what we're going to dig into today. Yeah, so we'll define it, we'll say what this is and how it works and uh, just some considerations around it and then try and propose some suggestions for how to deal with or overcome this if faced with this dilemma. Yeah. So, let's uh let's start by defining it a little bit. Of course. All right. So, Essentially, what option paralysis is, it's a phenomenon where multiple available choices can make choice difficult or impossible. So essentially, you get uh, exposed to uh, different pathways, different choices that you can make in any given scenario. And we kind of mentioned a couple where we talked about going out to eat or going to Blockbuster and renting your favorite movies. Because, uh, I mean, when that see that's that's a dated example, but just being able to go <laughs> do all these things. Um, and there's so many choices that it makes it very, very difficult to choose one option out of that. We'll get into some of the theories about this later. But yeah, as you were saying that there there are so many choices and that there is this idea that having that many choices can lead to you feeling unable to make a decision and sometimes experiencing either anxiety or reduced satisfaction with that choice if it's if there are too many and it just takes too long to do it and that sort of thing. This does go by other names. As we mentioned at the top, sometimes this is called overchoice or choice overload. I also saw analysis paralysis or the reverse of that paralysis by analysis. And I think there was another one paradox of choice maybe. Uh, yeah, there's, there's a few different terms out there and actually that made researching this a little bit difficult because we, because when we started looking at stuff or at least when I started looking at stuff, I was looking up, option paralysis and uh and did not find quite as much in that realm but definitely found more in the overchoice and choice choice overload arenas yeah same the most that i found on this was when i was looking specifically for choice overload and uh the other terms did not turn up as many options for me to choose from yeah <laughs> right, right funny enough right um and so the the term was originally coined in the book Future Shock by Alvin and Heidi Toffler, um, which actually outlined an issue of too much change happening too quickly. I'm not sure that that really aligns with what we understand today as a definition of option paralysis or any of that, but uh, it, this is where the term kind of first came from. 
Yeah, I saw that as well, and I saw that this was published in 1970. Did you say that already? I did not I'm say sure that. Okay, so been around for quite a while, and and yeah, mostly it seemed like when I, I didn't, I don't have this book, but when I was trying to learn more about this Future Shock book, as as you mentioned, this seems to be where at least the credit goes to this being one of the originating sources of the idea of overchoice. It was talking about how in the future people are going to be uh, faced with so much rapid change that they won't know what to do. But we're not really talking about dealing with rapid change as much as we are dealing with a whole bunch of options leading us to feel like we can't make a choice among those options. So I'm not sure how those things line up exactly, but maybe they did talk more about that in that book and I just didn't find it specifically because I didn't have the book. I don't know, something like that. It sounds like we need to get that book and add it to the array of stuff that we need to read, right? Like we're going to put that in the choice and then have a hard time choosing that book to read. Yeah. Maybe. Sounds great. Thank you for adding that (laughs) for the list. Uh, there was that other book that I mentioned as well called Paradox of Choice by Barry Schwartz, which I'm, I don't recall when that was published, but that has a similar idea to this idea of overchoice and how too many choices can actually lead to a, a, more, a greater restriction in your, I guess, freedom is kind of the word, but it, at least in terms of your ability to navigate a particular situation. Yeah, I think the Schwartz book is more current. It's definitely been published, I want to say, within yeah, the 2000s. Definitely. So, yeah, I think you're right. So it's a little bit more up to date and kind of pulls from some of this stuff. So so if you get a chance, the Schwartz book is probably something to check out if you really want to understand this phenomenon a little bit. Now, one thing... That's not to say that we are directly endorsing that book, because I don't think either of us have actually read it. But it I've is never read it. That it's, yeah, it's more on topic with what we're talking about and also more recent. It seemed like a consistent resource that came up in the research of this topic. Yes. Okay. I just wanted to make sure we threw that out there. Yeah. 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 That's just, it's just as a caveat. Um, so if we're going to talk about choice in general, uh, one thing that we kind of found that I found really interesting about this was that there's a lot of different theories around choice. And so we're going to try to highlight a couple of them and discuss what they mean and, and how they account for this issue of choice and choice deficits or choice paralysis in relation to this particular phenomenon. So the first one I want to talk about is prospect theory. And so Essentially, it's a behavioral model that shows how people decide between alternatives that involve risk and uncertainty. So what ends up happening is it gives you like a behavioral accounting of how people make decisions when there is some level of risk regarding a choice or some level of uncertainty regarding a particular choice or set of choices. People think in terms of their expected utility or of the choice or, or the, the outcome rather than absolute outcomes. So it's definitely... It, what it tries to account for is more short, short-term uh, situations versus these long-term absolute outcomes. It doesn't really account for like those long-term goals or those those things that happen when we make choices and and you know some kind of event occurs at the you know way down the line. And essentially, what it looks at here is is what's that that more immediate outcome in relation to um, the utility of those choices for that individual. Okay, I mean. That doesn't raise any red flags immediately. It seems like that's a workable sort of hypothesis to 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 use for now. Yeah. Uh, the next one's kind of a mouthful and and also very jargony. It's called rank dependent expected utility theory. Oof, <laughs> that's a that's, lot. Yeah, that's too many words. Like they, I feel like that person had a hard time choosing what to title that theory. <laughs> I think you are correct. They were faced with this exact problem. 
apparently this used to be known as anticipated utility which i think is a much easier title for it although i'm not sure that it's any more descriptive really and in this particular theory whatever whichever of those you choose to orient to maybe we'll just call it rdeu or something rank dependent expected utility theory i don't know whatever um and in this particular theory individuals they tend to favor uh low probability events such as winning the lottery or suffering a disastrous insurable loss um and so just thinking about the idea of do i buy flood insurance sort of thing do i uh, avoid i don't know if this is exactly in line with this sort of thing but i was just thinking as an example of like do i avoid going to the doctor um if i feel like it's not really a big deal sort of thing. And a part of this theory includes something called an alias paradox. And in this one, uh, the, the individual appears to forego the chance of a, of a large gain to avoid a small chance of missing out on an otherwise certain uh, large gain. Um, but they're less averse to uh, making a risk when offered the chance of reducing an 11% chance of a loss to a 10% chance. And th- so this actually comes straight out of the behavior economics model, especially one that I saw this proposed by... Um, I'm trying to remember what the model was called, but it was the Kahneman and Tversky very, very commonly cited model um, in which it talks about how people tend to be either uh, risk averse. And so they are very unlikely to risk losing any amount, but they tend to be uh, risk seeking when there is a proposed benefit um, inside of that. I think that's summarizing it the, the correct way. Yeah, no, that sounds about right. It's still a very wordy title for a theory. Yes, it definitely <laughs> is. So another theory that is out there and actually probably one that speaks to me as a human being would be the regret and disappointment theory. So now that is a title I can easily get my head around. I'm totally sold already. (laughs) Don't give me the book. The title is enough. (laughs) So essentially what this accounts for is this is more of like an emotional model where um, emotions are experienced due to the consequence of a decision. So regret is caused by a decision one has made. And if the decider has chosen had or had chosen differently, then maybe different consequences could have been experienced. And so they regret making that decision. They're disappointed with their decision. And the disappointment part comes when uh, the consequence could not have been changed, but is instead produced by the outcome rather than the decision. So essentially what happens is they make a choice. They're disappointed with their choice. They wish they could have made a different choice. And and it explains kind of what happens after the choice is made, but it doesn't do a good job of explaining how the choice is made to begin with. Yeah, I was actually just thinking as we've been talking about these, these all seem to kind of actually approach different elements of a situation in which you're stuck making some kind of decision. Some of them seem to be on the the antecedent end, if you will, or the the prospect of being faced with a decision. Some of them seem to be faced with how one makes that decision and some of them with what happens after you have made a decision um, and then maybe how that affects it in sort of a, a feedback loop in a way. The next one is called weighted utility theory, which I'm going to go ahead and just call what for now because I think <laughs> that's a really funny acronym for that theory. Um, and the idea for weighted utility theory is this is analyzing situations in which you you have to make a decision without necessarily knowing what the results of that decision might be. So you're sort of, there's, there's some amount of uncertainty in making that choice. It's uninformed. You kind of have to, I don't know, just do your best educated guess, if you will, about whether or not you're going or, or what choice you're going to have to make inside of a particular situation. So that seems to be a slightly different angle from some of the other ones. Yeah, I mean, that one seems to be more like there's no way that you can account for what's going to happen. So you have to make a decision and you have to weigh your options with very limited information, it seems like. 
That I would like to also call the choosing the highway to work theory. What road am I going to take? Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Usually, usually you take the same route, but if you know that there's construction or if you see on your whatever app you're using that their traffic is jammed, maybe you choose to take a different route. Yeah, I think that's perfectly acceptable. For what? Sweet. <laughs> For what? And uh, this last one I'm going to talk about, I'm just going to call dat. So we've got what and dat. <laughs> what dat? What dat? Oh, that's so good. <laughs> So this is going to be the decision affect theory. And essentially what comes out of this choice theory is that there are emotional responses that depend on probabilities and unobtained uh, outcomes. So unexpected outcomes have greater emotional impact than expected outcomes. And furthermore, any given outcome is less pleasant if an unobtained outcome is better. So essentially what this means is that if you do not expect something to happen a certain way and it happens that way, the outcome is better and has a bigger emotional impact. And it could go kind of both ends of that spectrum, right? So you have one side that if the outcome is not expected and it's great, it's gonna have a higher emotional impact. If the outcome is not expected and it's terrible, it's gonna be pretty devastating. And so that's kind of what this, this particular theory speaks to. Well, and I also sort of gleaned from the the dat, if you will, <laughs> that this is sort of like the if you there's something that's unexpected, and another option you could have gotten that you you know you probably would have wanted more. And I, I'm thinking for some reason the immediate thing that popped into my head is like Christmas when you're a kid, and you get this present that's really big, and it's like whoa that box is huge, it looks amazing, and you open it, it's like a really big blanket, and you're like cool this should have been an n64 yeah why wasn't this like a a mech suit that i could climb inside of and walk around like a giant (laughs) robot i just wanted to be a robot not warm yeah and they're looking at the giant box going what dat (laughs) (laughs) oh theories yeah (laughs) that's how three-year-old would ask questions about the world what What dat? dat what dat so that's kind of, I mean, there are a lot of theories out there. These are kind of the main ones that we saw. And I think that this gives us a pretty clear picture of how people, maybe researchers, I should say, um, tend to conceptualize choice and how choice is made. But like you said, like all of them kind of impact a different element surrounding choice, whether it's how choices are made, risks are related to choices, or kind of the outcomes after the choice is made. Yeah, so let's go ahead and just dive into, I think, then how we can kind of understand what's going on when we're faced with these and and just breaking it down in terms of what we understand about behavior and psychology and how we make those sorts of choices. So there are some things that I I found when I was uh, preparing for this that alluded to the idea that there's sort of a prerequisite, if you will, in terms of if you're likely to be faced with the experience of quote-unquote option paralysis or whatever choice over cho- uh, choice overload, whatever, whatever you want to use. And one of those is that you don't come into the situation with a, a clear preference of which one of those alternatives you specifically want. For example, if you go into a restaurant already knowing something that you really like on the menu, then you're not necessarily going to be faced with the like, well, do I choose this thing or this thing? You already go in pretty sure of the one thing that you want to get. And so in that case, you're not likely to have that experience because you have a pretty clear preference going into it. To add to that, there's really not a clear outstanding option. So I think that happens when you go through like certain lists on Netflix, and especially if you don't have like a clear preference. Like you're scrolling through, like maybe you're looking at some kind of stand-up and you see like three John Mulaney stand-ups and they're all great. Uh, but you can't pick one because all of them are so good that none of them are really outstanding compared to the other. 
Right. Or alternatively, you get to see that there's like, well, I can watch Shark Girl and Lava Boy one, two, or three, or can watch the John Mulaney stand up. Well, I'm gonna definitely go for that one, <laughs> right? <laughs> because I don't want to see those any of those other ones. And so in that case, there is a clear outstanding option. So that would you that would not be an experience of the option paralysis or uh, choice overload. Another one is that, and I have some contention with this one, but the idea that if you are pretty well versed in what the options are, if you're sort of an expert in that topic, then you're probably not, at least the idea here that was proposed is that you're probably not going to be faced with as much dilemma in making that choice because you already know enough about it that you can sort of make an informed decision about what you want to choose, even if all of them seem like they're something that are relatively equal. If you know enough about them, then you might be able to say, well, even though this they seem like they're great choices, I'm pretty sure I do want to go with this one because I know that that's going to have the best payoff for me. I mean, that being said, I am an expert in a couple of things and I certainly have run into the situation where knowing a lot about some things that I want to choose from I still have to I don't know like actually work through the process and think ah, well do I really want this one or this one and, and that sort of thing and so I'm not sure if this one applies in all situations yeah I mean and I think that one probably maybe it's influenced a little bit by learning history, right? Like what somebody's been exposed to to some degree. Like you may not have, you yeah. might not be an expert, but you may have some previous exposure to whatever that concept is or those choice or those options are. You may have heard from a friend that this is something that's really cool and you might like, and you are not expert by any means, but that might change the way that you make a choice. Yeah, I'm not an expert in food, but I can certainly choose which one I would rather eat. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's kind of, that that one's kind of funny. One that one's a little bit more nebulous. And I think, and this is one that you added, Abraham. And I think this is one that is is important. Is is that when it comes to choice, you can't have them all, and that's just life. <laughs> well, and then and this speaks to the prerequisite idea that you're not likely to have the experience of suffering from too many choices if you can have all the choices. If you can just go into the situation and be like, all of these sound great, I'll take them all, then then you're not going to have to make a decision. It's not going to be this this potentially aversive situation. So you really have to be faced with a, a situation where either you can't have them all or that the order is very important in which you have them all. And in that situation, then you're more likely to be faced with this paralyzing decision. Yeah. So, I mean, if you can have them all, great. If you can't have them all, then you're going to have to make a choice. Exactly. And then another one, and this sort of does allude to one of the theories that we talked about earlier and that's the whole idea of fear of missing out or FOMO and the basic idea behind this one is that when you choose one option that means that you're also not choosing another option and so to quote Rush which just immediately popped into my head when I was reading this um, quote if you choose not to decide you have still made a choice and would you like to try and sing that for us um uh I can't remember. I always forget how the melody or the, the, the phrasing goes for the first part, but it's, you still have made a choice. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Very, thank you for that. Yeah, no problem. And so, yeah, as I said, this is selecting one. And when you select that one option, you're actually selecting against the other things. And that can be hard, especially when you have like other people's feelings on the line or you, uh, you know that like these other options, something's going to happen to them. 
so for example, let's say that there are multiple events going on. Maybe there's multiple concerts going on or there are like multiple birthday parties on the same night or I don't know. There, there are multiple things that are all happening on the same night and they're all in places where you have to go to only one. But going to one is sort of making a statement about not going to the others. And so it's like if I am choose to go to this friend's event that I'm specifically not I'm specifically choosing not to go to this friend's event. Or if I go to this concert, I'm specifically choosing not to go to this other thing. And so even though they are all different things, or they might even all be relatively similar, when you choose one of them, you're choosing against the other one. And then that can be a really difficult decision to make. Yeah. When I was a teenager, I spent a lot of time going to shows, like concerts. Me too. And uh, there was one night where two of my favorite bands were playing at one venue and two of my favorite bands were playing at another venue on a different tour. And they were in the same city on the same night, like 15 minutes apart from each other. And I had to choose. I had to choose which show I wanted to go to. It was terrible. And you just stayed home rolling on the floor crying. I went and saw American Nightmare. Like that was <laughs> – that's where that's what I did instead. So instead of nice. going to see like Poison the Wall on Thursday. So I saw American Nightmare and Glassjaw. So it was, it was a great show. Cool. Worth it. All worth right. it. Chipped my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> worth Sounds it. Sounds great. Yeah, it was good. This was a good night. So, so when we talk about this, all of this, uh, you know, from a behavioral standpoint, we want to get into this, right? All choices yeah. have a payoff that is a little ambiguous in terms of enjoyment, but relatively equal. And so that's what we're kind of coming across here is that all the choices that are available to us could be super cool at about the same level, right? So we have to learn, like, so when we have to make a choice, that's why it becomes so difficult. Because, like, if I go to a vegan restaurant and they have a, like, a fried chicken sandwich or they have a really good Philly cheesesteak, I'm going to really struggle between the two of those choices because they both sound so good. <laughs> that's a great example. <laughs> um, I'm just thinking about all those people who are, like, absolutely repulsed by the idea of vegan food entirely. And they're <laughs> yeah. just thinking, like, that seems like a pretty easy choice to me. <laughs> option option C, none of the above. Option C, Texas Roadhouse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the, other, the other way of maybe thinking about this, we've talked a lot about cues on this show. And thinking about all of these options as cues and that each cue signals... I'm trying to think of a, of a good way to say this. All, all these cues signal that payoff. And they're all about equal strength in terms of what what kind of payoff they signal. And that when there's only one of those available, or else, the as I mentioned earlier, the order of them is really important, then they're sort of all competing. And so one thing we didn't really talk about when we were defining this option paralysis or this choice overload is that one of the characteristic features of this is that you are going to have... I want to say hesitation when you get to that option, you're going to sort of stop and you might have to think about it. You might experience some amount of distress or aversiveness to it. You might feel um, some kind of, I don't know, anxiety or concern in this choice. But other than that, you might also just have the the decision of you are interrupted in what you're doing because you have to spend now a certain amount of time examining all your choices and making a decision. And so just thinking about this in terms of how this works is that there are all of these cues relevant to these different options and all these cues signal that there is some kind of payoff and that you have to then go through sort of selecting which one is going to be one of those things is going to ultimately be the thing that you choose probably or else it's that sort of hidden option d which is none of the above <laughs> or something else um, but yeah that that's one way of thinking about how this sort of works yeah and so 
I think that's when it starts getting complicated, right? When you start to hesitate and you start to second guess your choice, and then there's that aversion of losing that other choice. It just it's kind of snowballs. If you all start to overthink anything, this is kind of what happens. Yeah, it could be like it could be this, it could be this, it could be this, and you kind of instead of just kind of making a choice, uh, especially when everything is relatively equal. I mean, that's sometimes where you'll see people will ask for help, right? Like if you go to a restaurant and you're like, what do you recommend? That'll give yeah. you like a, a, a more clear path because you literally are so hesitant to make a choice and you it's aversive to lose those opportunities. So you end up asking somebody else to, to make the choice for you almost. Yeah. And I mean, there's this idea that there's that hesitation thing that kind of slows you down and interrupts what you're doing. There's this aversion to loss of the other options that you didn't choose instead. There's maybe a lack of clarity around a choice. And all of this can reduce the the perceived payoff of whatever choice you make so much so just because the circumstance of having to make that choice is so unpleasant that it's like it's no longer even worth it for me to choose any of these things because I just want out of the situation and so sometimes you'll just walk away you'll just be like I would rather do nothing than sit here and struggle over which decision I'm going to make and ultimately not be satisfied because I spent so much time struggling with the decision that I'm trying to make and so there's the sort of the delayed outcome of what I might experience when this by making the choice and choosing something I really like is now less valuable than the immediate outcome of get out of the situation I don't like. So there's that little bit of the you know the the whole of what's going to happen in the future versus what's going to happen right now is I think another important consideration around making choices when you're faced with many of those options. Yeah, and so. I think that brings us to a really good point to talk about some of the research in this and specifically um, in relation to the Schwartz book and and some of the stuff around overchoice in general. So the power of the Schwartz, the power of the Schwartz. (laughs) I love man, That movie is so good. That is a good one. For those who don't know, we're quoting a a movie called Spaceballs Mm -hmm. by Mel Brooks that came out in what was that like the 90s? Maybe Uh, maybe I want to say maybe even like late 80s. Okay, I mean, is Rick it's, Moranis was still working and still around, and he plays Dark Helmet. <laughs> Dark Helmet. Um, uh, John Candy plays the Chewbacca equivalent named Barf. Yeah. Then there's uh, Pizza the Hut, and yeah, uh, just it's a it's a Star Wars spoof if you can't tell just from the name of the yeah. descriptions. Uh, there, but Mel very Brooks funny. plays Mel Brooks plays yogurt. That's right, yogurt. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Anyway. That's okay. So if, yeah, when you have to, if you have to make a choice about movies tonight, that's the one you should list. You should watch. <laughs> yes. So so Schwartz 2004 actually found that issues of overchoice were reported with levels of unhappiness among individuals who had contacted the phenomenon. And as a matter of fact, he brought up the point that most modern Americans have so much choice that it makes them. It, 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 people assume that they're more free and they have more autonomy, um, but there is not really a lot of benefit psychologically. So they they actually experience a higher level of of psychological unhappiness, um, poor well being outcomes because there's just too much choice that they can't make it. Something that I thought I thought about when we were talking about this, and and I think that we missed as an opportunity when we were talking about creativity. There's this idea that when you have a restricted number of options, sometimes that forces you in with respect to creativity, that forces you to be more creative as you have to solve something within a certain level of parameters. When you have endless options, you can kind of just do whatever and kind of anything will work more or less. But when you really have to solve a problem because there are certain restrictions, then you have to really be creative in your problem solving. Well, this is sort of a similar idea in that when you have 
uh, so many options, it becomes that you you experience a lack of freedom because there's so many choices. This this is his thesis anyway. Um, we'll get into what some of the other research has shown that is not necessarily in agreement with him and, and other hypotheses around this. But his basic thesis here is that like when there becomes so many choices, when we're sort of saturated with the number of options and things that we have, then we no longer experience freedom. Instead, we start to feel, experience that restriction. And when we actually narrow down the number of choices and get to a, a limited set of things, then we experience more freedom because we don't, we're not faced with this, this paralyzing number of options that causes us to feel that distress. Yeah. It's a problem. Too many choices. Too many choices. We need to be more creative. The struggle is real. The struggle is real. So another study to kind of follow up, and this one's more recent as of 2017, uh, Vieira et al. had it, it kind of done uh, multiple studies within this study to see about the issue of overchoice and what it looked like when uh, learners or subjects were presented with uh, multiple options and presented with an array and see if there's any sort of significant difference between their choices. So essentially, study one um, presented subjects with either 11, 7, or 5 different drink, drink options. So that was the first study. They presented it to see if they could choose from that array or if it caused any issues or if there's any uh, like option paralysis related to that. Okay. Are these alcohol options or like just other beverages? They were just other beverages. Yeah, I think oh, okay. alcohol. I think for the most part, everybody would be like, "Just give me whatever works." Yeah, you know. <laughs> well, I don't know. People have a pretty I'll take specific. The people have a pretty specific alcohol preference comparatively. I was actually that's what I was gonna say when I was thinking about this is most people are gonna look at like a various types of wine and if they already know what kind of wine they're like then they're just gonna immediately select that one or like whiskey, all the same thing that people usually have pretty strong opinions about their alcohol. If you give me an array of whiskey, I'm always going to choose a good Irish whiskey. Like, that's <laughs> always. So, just be so for those of you who want to send us gifts, you can send me two Lamore Dew. That's the <laughs> whiskey I drink. Okay, study two presented subjects with 50 versus 40 versus 30 pizza menu items, which I, again, that's another one that I feel pretty strongly about pizza toppings, but there are times where I don't really care what goes on my pizza. Pineapple is never an acceptable option. Desi, I think that's where you and I might disagree. I think that's where that's our <laughs> biggest difference. Pineapple's okay. I don't think pineapple is the solution. I think it's okay. 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 <laughs> and then the third study um, actually presented subjects with either 16, 12, or 8 gum options. So they could choose from an array, from any of those arrays. What they ended up finding was that there was not really a significant difference between the number of arrays and choices being made across the subjects. The subjects kind of chose and made choices whether or not there was 50 pizza options or 30, whether there was 11 drink options or five or anywhere in between then. And um, I think that maybe if it was, you know, if they made the ratios or choices smaller, like if they said, like, you know, you can either choose from 100 pizza options or maybe four you might have a more like significant outcome, but they didn't really find a significant outcome with these particular arrays across three different uh, situations. Do you know if they looked at all at things like whether people reported feeling anxiety or distress in this situation, or, or was it just looking at uh, what options they made? I think it was more looking at um, uh, what options they made. I think I would need to spend a little bit more time in that study, but I don't remember them talking about emotional distress or anything related to it. Okay. So um, another one that I found was by, I'm going to do my best with this name, Shibahin, Sh Shibahin maybe, 
and colleagues in 2010. This was in the Journal of Consumer Research. And one thing that I found, and I don't remember if we had mentioned this earlier, but there were just so, so many studies that have been published on some aspect of this that I was pretty eager to look to something like a meta-analysis. And that's exactly what was provided here. And what they did is they looked at 50 published experiments that came out to around 63, if I remember correctly, different studies and some ridiculous number of participants, like 5,000. And they wanted to look at this idea of there being decreased motivation, increased anxiety, decreased satisfaction, that sort of thing when faced with a whole bunch of choices and looking at the research that has been published on this. So they basically were just coming through the existing studies that had that were around in 2010 and looking to see what was being reported in those studies. And what they actually showed was that there was zero effect size with people experiencing decreased motivation and satisfaction with those choices when faced with many choices. That is to say that there was no effect, that it was not consistent that being faced, that having too many options resulted in people feeling decreased satisfaction or decreased motivation. And some of the studies did show that that was the case, but some of them actually showed the opposite, that having more choices actually led to increased satisfaction. And so sort of what they basically pointed out is like this is it kind of depends on how you ask the question. It's the research seems to be all over the place and it's not really a consistent effect. And this is actually one criticism I found when I was looking uh, at how deep should we go into this paradox of choice books by Barry Schwartz is that there were some criticisms specifically about what was found with respect to that, that there were some studies showing either not consistently what was being reported on at the time that that book was published or even the opposite in some cases. I guess the thing is, is that, you know, when people are talking about choice and talking about this whole phenomenon, you know, is choice really a bad thing? And it doesn't really seem like it is so far. Yeah. I mean, the research is not supporting that idea once we really have gotten into when people have done like the big overview of what's been published. But to provide further evidence of why choice is not a bad thing, you know, Dunlap et al. in 1994 actually did a study with individuals with developmental disabilities. And they had found that choice among preferences and preferred items and preferred activities and all that uh, was actually really great for teaching adaptive or functionally appropriate skills, like things like life skills and, and hygiene tasks and, and things that like help work towards independence for people who would struggle with that. So just even like there's there's some utility in having the ability to choose between those things that are not just a, that it's not just you going to a restaurant and struggling with a menu item there's there's more to it that actually has some pretty cool utility so unsurprisingly it's a slightly more complicated than one would believe at first glance uh agreed absolutely <laughs> isn't that um, isn't that every subject we get into <laughs> Yeah, that is exactly every subject, which is kind of why I wanted to say it. I'm like this is this ends up being almost a mantra for the the show is that it's complicated. We end up that's our that's our final conclusion here. It's always complicated. There's no definitive answers yet. Yeah, and maybe never, but unless we're talking about weighted vests. Yeah, there you go. Not that complicated. Not that complicated. Doesn't don't work. Need, yeah, don't need really to investigate this more. Homeopathy, same thing. <laughs> I'll link to those episodes both when I do the show notes as well. So Yeah. So 
let's say that we are in a situation, because I mean, one thing that we can point out is that it is actually the case that we do find ourselves in a situation where we have to make a decision and there are a lot of choices to make. I, I think that we, there's not really a dispute that that is an experience that people have, even though I, I think essentially when we're looking at the research and what we're finding here is that it's just not that it's a black and white, this always causes anxiety or that this is something that is really leading to people's unhappiness in life. It's it's just more complicated than that. But let's say we do find ourselves in the situation where we have to make a choice among several options that all seem pretty good. Well, what can we do about that? One option that is suggested, and this does come from the Schwartz book, and, and there was more about this that I looked into, is called voluntary simplicity. A much easier way to understand that in, in, in words that make more sense is just living simply. And, and the idea here is to choose a lifestyle that doesn't require you to make a lot of choices, just rather than make your life as full of fluff and pomp and whatnot as possible, to just live a, a simple life without needing to have everything, if that if that sort of makes sense. And that's sort of just the idea that was suggested. And I mean, I think there are certain there are certain cultures that certainly represent this. Uh, there are certain uh, lifestyles that people choose that would embody this. and and maybe even for that very reason of I don't I don't want to have this big complicated life where I have to make hard decisions. I would rather live a simple, I guess, I don't know, easily, consumed, I don't know, consumed is the right word, but easily um, executed lifestyle that doesn't cause me that sort of distress. And like, I don't feel the worry about it because I just kind of do what I do. Well, isn't that that whole, like, does this spark joy movement? Isn't there that what go. that's kind of all about? Yeah, right? that's exactly Like, get rid it. of the clutter? Yeah. Well, I mean, which is fine, but I think that at the same time, you know, what's, it, it's, it's not about like choice overload at that point in time. Like there's something else going on there. Right. So, so what can we do? Yeah. Live simply. I think sure. that's great. You know? Uh, another one would be consider choices in low stake scenarios with respect to overall values and goals in life. So when you're making choices, like you want to be able to kind of see how that relates to what you're trying to get at, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and just and probably take the time to weigh choices more heavily if they're going to have a larger impact or they're going to impact your long term goals. So, for example, if you're going to buy a house you should probably take some more time to consider the choice that you're making. If you're worried about getting pepperoni or sausage on your pizza, that's probably not something that you need to invest a lot of time and energy in and really have it cause you so much distress that you're it's impacting your quality of life. Yeah, I mean, if you find yourself getting the sweats and actively experiencing distress at having to choose between two types of cake mix at the grocery store or something, then really just the advice is like, let's try and, and take a step back from this and, and remove yourself from the immediate situation of of that. And I'm not to say that like it's invalid to experience some kind of distress when you might be, there might be a reason for you to feel that, but just try and evaluate it in terms of what does this mean for your life? You know, and as you said, making a really big choice, like leaving your job or buying a house or having a kid or adopting an animal even, I think those are, are choices that are like, this can have a really profound effect on your life. And other cho choices like, do I take this road or this road? Like, yeah, one might make you a little bit late. Other one might make you a little bit early. They might be about the same. Who knows? One, you might get stuck in traffic. These aren't really going to be super profound life-changing choices. Or going back to the idea of, yeah, as you mentioned, do I get this pizza with pepperoni? If I'm at the soda fountain, do I get root beer or Coke or do I get one of everything? You know? <laughs> Which is still delicious. 
Yeah, for sure. Unless you it's put Gatorade sugar. in there. It's, there you it's, go. it's all sugar. It's all fine. It's but all yeah, I the mean, same place. Yeah, and I think I think that's the thing is like making sure that like when you're when you're having to make choices, looking at how that choice is going to impact long term overall, and how that you know like I mean does it does it warrant that level of scrutiny, or is it something that is probably going to be pretty mild overall? Well said. Yeah. Uh, another one too would be commit to making a choice and be willing to be wrong. I cannot imagine that I have made every right choice in the world. I am somebody who has been divorced. So I can tell you right now that sometimes you make choices and sometimes you're wrong. It's okay. Yeah. And I mean, just looking at it again, in terms of this, like, I'm just going to say to myself, I'm going to pick one of these things, and, and I might be wrong about that, but I'm going to, I'm just going to pick it, and that way I don't find myself really being stressed out about this. And just you just commit to moving forward, basically. And you yeah. can even go into situations knowing you're going to be faced with a lot of choices and think, I'm going to pick one of these things, and it's going to turn out how it turns out, and that's going to be okay. And maybe I would have chosen something else and enjoyed it more, but yeah, whatever. I made the choice that I made. It's fine. Well, and I think I think that also helps to sharpen your choice making skills going forward too. Like if you yeah. want to make better choices in the future, you need to be willing to be wrong at some point in time. Like you have to make a bad choice so that you don't make that choice again. Great point. Another one and you sort of pointed this out earlier is just looking for advice from somebody else. And I mean, at the very least, you can t- think about this in terms of you can then punch the blame to them if you don't like it. But <laughs> but I mean, really, just generally speaking, in terms of if someone else has more information or they have a suggestion, maybe they have tried one of the options that you're considering or they have more information than you have, then they can sort of guide you towards something. And maybe you don't even take that advice, but at least you have a little bit more information to work with. Yeah, absolutely. Another one that I I actually prefer, and this is something that, especially if you go on trips and stuff, is to become familiar with the options ahead of time. Do do a little bit of research. Maybe if you can't do a lot of research on it, develop some kind of preconceived criteria or some kind of decision tree to help analyze those choices and help you to kind of have more of a streamlined process for when that choice is presented. Yeah, I mean, I uh, just as an example, personally, I really enjoy doing those escape rooms that are getting really popular. I've done many, many, pretty much every one that's available in the area where I live. But when I'm looking at choices for when to do one, one thing I might consider is the group that I'm with. All right, do I want to pick something that's difficult or that's relatively easy considering the people I'm going to be around? I might also consider uh, when it's going to be or the theme that it has. And so I can kind of go through this list of things where I'm like, well, I know I really like the horror themed things. It's just something that I think is really fun. Um, And for other people, that might not be the case. So just thinking about my group again or just myself, I'm like, I would tend to lean toward this one because I like that aesthetic. but this one also is like it's on the way far away. It's more expensive. So like you can sort of just apply those decisions to help you then make a more informed choice. And I think the last thing is if it's too hard, let's just not decide. Let's just not make a choice because yeah. that's a choice in itself. I mean, and it that's is. not to say that's not to say like, hey, if you have to deal with something, just avoid it. That's not really what we're getting at. But sometimes no. you don't have to make a decision about things. It's okay. Like sometimes you don't have to decide that, you know, which restaurant you're going out to eat at. Maybe you decide to stay home and eat. Like I, maybe I'm just hungry right now and I keep referencing food, but, um, you know, like, <laughs> it's so lunchtime. it's lunchtime. That's it. Or, uh, you know, I think about music a lot in this regard. I have a really hard time selecting music cause I listen to so much and there are so many choices sure. and even within certain bands, like, um, like, you know, bad religion is one of my favorite bands and they have 19 albums. So Jeez. which, which album do I even start with? You know? And, uh, sometimes I'm just like, well, maybe I just need to hit shuffle and then let, let the technology decide. And that's totally fine with me. So sometimes it's too hard to make those low stakes choices. 
things, it's okay not to decide on those things. Yeah, I mean, actually, that's a great example. And I have a similar, I guess, story to share about that, which is that I have found myself like thinking, I really don't know what I want to listen to right now. And I really don't like the radio personally. Nothing against the radio. I just, I like being able to make that choice for myself. That's just where I'm at with that. Except Nickelback. I think that we hold a pretty strong opinion on Nickelback. <laughs> we do. <laughs> that's that's fair. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, but w- what I'll do is I'll just be like, well, I'm just, I'm not going to select something right now. I'm just going to, as you said, I'm just going to, I'm going to just randomly pick something. Or I even might say like, I know this isn't what I want to listen to right now, but I'm just going to go ahead and put it on because then after a song or two, I'll, I'll think about, oh, you know what I'd really like to hear right now is this. And then I'll just go pick that because I've sort of, I guess, influenced uh, what would be a better option by listening to something that wasn't really what I wanted in the first place. Yeah, there you go. So I like it. All right. Have we solved the problem of option paralysis? Yeah, I think, uh, I think that, I think that we've kind of hit all the points. So let's, let's maybe we need to just wrap it up. Sounds good. Okay. So sometimes people have a hard time choosing not because of overchoice, but because preferences or outcomes are competitive. Sometimes they compete with one another and sometimes they're equally as satisfying or equally as unsatisfying. So they have a hard time choosing in those situations. And I mean, just conceptually thinking about this, essentially what you have is there are a whole bunch of things that are out there and they, these are all, they all have cues or they are cues and they just, they signal ambiguous payoff. So you just are faced with a situation where you kind of got to figure out your situation and that is linked, I think, to some of the things we mentioned as your options here, which I mean, really, if you were to simplify that list of things that you can do, it really just kind of comes down to educate yourself in one way or another and commits to doing something. Yep, pretty much. I think that's good. And I think another important one here is that choice is not a bad thing. Choice actually can be a really good thing for a lot of people. And generally, we want to have options because that means that we can we can grow, we can learn, and we have a less restrictive environment in which we are trying to thrive. And so... Although I think there are certain ways to talk about how restrictions can be good in a lot of ways, I think that is a much deeper conversation for another time. Generally speaking, I think we can say choice is good. There's a one of my favorite studies is there's a there's a study on choice and whether or not choice in itself is reinforcing and ineffective to facilitate behavior change. Yeah. And the study was that they had somebody working towards a single red M&M and then another person working towards choosing from an array of five red M&Ms. So it was the same it was the same stimuli just in, they they just the just the option of choice was there and then you found that there was a higher rate of responding. Like there was more work done just to get the choice. It was pretty cool. Yeah, I do recall that one, um, and and I, I agree. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's cool. So, and I think kind of the 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 main point that we're getting at here is that overchoice and option paralysis doesn't really seem to exist. Um, what we're really talking about more are a complex set of circumstances, uh, a lot of different variables that are in play that ultimately result in some kind of equal options of payoff and emotional responses like disappointment and regret. There, it's a fairly complex thing, and it's not necessarily that it's option paralysis per se. I think that's a pretty okay umbrella to look at, but it doesn't really define or explain what the actual phenomenon is. Cool. Well, I think that we are good there, unless you have anything else. Uh, No, I think that covers it. All right, perfect. Well, in that case, let's go ahead and move on real quick to a listener mail. 
So this one comes from a listener named Liz. And she says, hey there, guys. I'm a keen podcast listener from Scotland. Hello, Liz from Scotland. Hello, Liz. Uh, she says, I recently enjoyed listening to episode on child development part two. She said, I always appreciate the effort you guys go to to produce such interesting and accurate content. and makes my many hours spent driving a real pleasure. I wonder what uh, Liz does that she spends so much time driving. Hmm. Eh, maybe, maybe just lives far out or something. Yeah. Anyway, she goes on to say, I would like to include some extra detail for your section on sleeping, specifically bed sharing. Uh, I'll just remind people that when we did that episode, we talked about, if you're new to the podcast or whatever, or just didn't hear it, or you just forgot, that what happens sometimes is that there is this practice when raising children where you sleep in the same bed as them. And um, she goes on to say, which is the next point here, is that you make the point that bed sharing with an infant increases the risk of infant death, including SIDS, which is Sudden Infant Death Syndrome. The statistical data which show a correlation between bed and an infant death include a variety of sleeping environments and i would like to make the distinction between safe and unsafe bed sharing practices research supports the fact that the vast majority of bed sharing deaths can be attributed to quote-unquote unsafe bed sharing practices including parental consumption of alcohol drug use falling asleep on the sofa with an infant and not breastfeeding and then there's a parenthesis says research actually suggests that not breastfeeding alone can increase baby risk of sids by 50 percent Important caveat that there are some women who are unable to breastfeed, and this is not something that you should at all feel ashamed about. Just want to throw that out there. And it is a thing, and it's, just, it's important just to know that that's out there. She goes on to say, I wanted to make the point that it can appear from the statistics that the very nature of sleeping in such close proximity to your baby can be inherently dangerous, but the research doesn't support this. The risk factors are actually from other variables which are amenable to change. It's like hearing what the statistical likelihood is of crashing your car on a particular stretch of road, but then realizing that the data include all the junk drivers who make the majority of the crash figures. And then she provided some um, really useful research, which we will link in the show notes to this episode episode and i'll go back and add them into the that child development episode as well she says i hope that adds a bit of extra conversation thanks again for so much you do it's much appreciated that i mean that was a long email but honestly that was really great i really appreciated the information from liz i was really happy to include that in uh as part of a listener mail and to share with our listeners so thanks so much liz for that yeah for sure i mean i know that my kids are older and i used to sleep i used to fall asleep with them on the couch with them on my chest and uh, i did not really sleep that well um and i'm I'm sure that probably put them up for risk but you know i mean this is great information to kind of go back to the research and share this, this these resources so thank you liz for for real yeah and i was very happy that um i responded to her and she wrote back and she she had another fun contribution she said i wanted to point out that um a missed or at least unacknowledged pun in the episode on weighted vests so going back to the weighted vest episode that's the second appearance this time she says, I'm imagining to my delight when I heard you attest to the fact that you wouldn't give equal weight to unfounded opinions. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I don't think we did catch that pun. Um, and I told her, I, I thanked her profusely for acknowledging that so that we could share it with our listeners. She said, kindest regards from across the pond, Liz. So again, thank you so much, Liz. I really appreciated that email exchange and your useful information and for catching our good puns. So um, if anybody else catches any other our great puns, we really like hearing that sort of thing. Um, I think that puns are, although they're almost painful to listen to, they're also fun for the very same reason. It's, so, it's one of my favorite types of verbal behavior. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> language is neat language is cool thank you all right well thank you so much liz for writing in uh it, we love hearing from people so please write us if you have anything useful to share with us if we got anything wrong and you can say something very nice to help us correct it of course you can contact us on all the social media platforms and we're available at all the places that you find podcasts as far as i know so that's all i've got you good to go shane i'm good to go all right thank you so much for listening this is abraham and hey, this is shane we're out
Sia. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.